Welcome to Dumb Girl Podcast. I'm your host, Jessica Fury. Here we talk all things wellness, business, and relationships. Don't get it twisted. There's nothing dumb around here. Playing dumb can actually work to your advantage because it illustrates the power of communication. In each episode, there's something you'll receive that you can apply to help build more success in your life. So talk less, listen more, and play dumb, and let the guests share their wisdom. Enjoy. Let's get into today's episode. I've seen a lot of rookie agents focused on making the quick deal. I've learned that it's much more important to focus on the client and the longevity of the relationship. Although we sell houses, we are really in business of selling people. Joey Bensby. Welcome to Dumb Girl Podcast. I am your host, Jessica Fury. Who is Joey Bensby? He is our guest today. He is known for his glamorous listing, marketing magic, and fearless competitive business style. You may have seen him on the Buying Beverly Hills Netflix show, which is now streaming, which is, I guess, where you've gotten a lot of plug, Joey, but I want to say you started uh, your own real estate group with your friend Brandon, mm-hmm. and it's Ben's Fee Pillar Group. Yes. So welcome to <laughs> Joey. Welcome to Dumb Girl Podcast. Isn't that a great way to start? That's a great way to start. I mean, that's yeah. why we're here. It's a great vibe. Yeah. That's awesome. Thank but, you. I did start Dumb Girl Podcast. It is a total ploy <laughs> and it brings people to come in here. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank let you for me, having me. Let me. Yeah, of course. Relationships. How far can you? I want you to take me back. I know that you're from Brentwood. You're mm-hmm. from LA. Mm-hmm. I want you to take me back as a kid. Was relationship something that was important in your family? How did you grow up? I knew your sisters. How did you guys grow up? Was it something that was like important? Yeah. I mean, I always kind of watched my dad um, be the guy always putting himself out there. And I kind of just saw from a young age, um, I looked at, you know, whose parents were successful at a young age before you kind of really understand anything. Um, and the one thing I could pick up on was the importance of relationships. I had no idea what I wanted to do with those relationships, what I wanted to do in general. I just knew I had to cultivate as many high quality relationships as possible. And that comes on an emotional side, but it also comes on, you know, a business side. So there, there's two sides to, uh, to, to that kind of mindset of, cultivating a relationship from a young age. Um, and I think that's just always been a priority of mine. And now that I'm in this business, all those years of cultivating um, are sort of paying off. I want I want to go a little micro. Like yeah. I, I want to really like see because relationships are the core of so many different things. But I feel as if we can get better with relationships as we evolve and we take care, we do the work for ourselves mm-hmm. and but we have to see something we have to start as children like do we see how our parents interact with each other do we see how our siblings interact with each other do we see something and we're like oh i like this do we go in a relationship and the relationship doesn't work but you're able to see your part in a relationship so can you just go a little micro with like maybe as a kid like yeah your parents were loving or you know, they connected to your, your grandparents are also here as well. Like they're still in LA. No, no, my, all my, all my grandparents have passed. Okay. But you know, I, I think, I don't know who I learned this from or at what point, um, but I've had several good examples 
is that, you know, a lot of people think that if they're just picking up relationships along the way that they're going to, you know, create this unbeatable network, but it's 100% based in a genuine relationship. You can't just be going after relationships as kind of like, uh, you know, points on the board. It's got to be genuine where you're feeling something towards them and they're feeling something towards you and you both are bringing value to the situation. Otherwise, that relationship isn't doing anything for you and it's not doing anything for them. Did you grow up in a loving home? Were you, did your parents show love to you guys? Yeah, for sure. But also fully neurotic Jewish home. So, you know, we, we got two sides of it. Um, but I definitely am grateful for my upbringing. My, my parents cared immensely. Um, no one's perfect. But they were, they did as, as well as they could have. Um, and, you know, you just picked up things. It's, again, it's not all what happens in the household. It's things that are happening outside. But I think that because as, as kids, we see things and we're like, okay, so, and we're in a time right now. It's kind of weird. Like we're in a time. And because I, I come from like a wellness background, I also see that people are like, oh, how did you grow up? How did your parents respond to you when you needed to get something done? When you wanted something, did did they just hand it to you? Or did they say, go work hard for it? Go make the connection to the person. You want to go make money? Go make money. You want to start a business? Go start a business. So I think that those things could be really motivating, but it can also be one of those things where I'll take myself as an individual. I moved from New York, from New Jersey, to come to Los Angeles. I've started businesses on my own here. And I've had to create those relationships and I'm still creating those relationships in businesses that I want to evolve. Now, turning it on to you, and I, I applaud you for this because you, you are a young, successful 20-something. And I think that's amazing. It's not usual, but it is more common now in generations. So was that something that you were like as a young age or when you went to college, you're like, I'm going to start a business I'm going to create success, even if I have to turn to my parents or my peers or my grandparents or people in your circle to see how I can execute in such a powerful way. So I, I guess the one the one um, thing that my parents always instilled in me was they, you know, I was raised in a very fortunate position. They sent me to, you know, all these incredible schools. I grew up in a nice neighborhood, but by no means was I given anything beyond that and I think that alone is such a fortunate position to be in but if there was any materialistic thing I wanted if there was an experience I wanted to have that was on me to figure out how to get there so from a young age I also you know knew that I wasn't going to just be able to ask the way a lot of the other kids were just able to ask their parents for something and they would get it you know like something as simple as going to lunch with your friends they weren't giving me the money to do that. I had to go figure that out on my own, which is completely normal, by the way. It's just more of how I ended up figuring it out in my life. That you know, I'm not saying poor me by any means because I had a very, very blessed childhood. It's just th- those circumstances that created an environment where I had to figure it out, but I was also very much exposed to everything and to people, quote unquote, having it all. So 
being in that environment and not having what they had per se, I think kind of created um, a monster out of me in, in a great way. Um, I'm just not a complacent person. And I understand that, you know, no one's handing anything over to anyone. And even if it's someone within your network and you only were able to get your foot in the door because you knew that person, you're not fully getting in the door unless you can provide that value. And that's how all my family has been. So even when, you know, on the show, there was that opportunity for me to sell my aunt's house, they pinned me against the top brokers in LA and there was never an advantage I had other than my relationship got me in the door, but I had to grind my ass off to make sure. Okay. <laughs> ass. Um, to grind that fucking shit off. Um, you could take that part out, but um, no, I mean, and that, I think that sentiment of just, you know, whether or not you know the person, whether or not there is an advantage, you're not getting in unless you provide that value. So now I'm just accustomed to providing that value for everyone. Yeah. You're just sort of giving it back. But I think that's cool because it teaches you humility. It teaches you humility. It's just like I'm, I may have s people that have helped me, but I have to do the work around it. But can you think of, can you give a specific ex example where you've had to really figure it out where you're like, I need to figure this out and like get it going. Like I know that you went to college, you went to college, yeah. you studied at university, Wisconsin. Y yes. Fucking cold. Yeah. Um, Very cold. Yeah. And, and was there, when you came out of college was when you started in real estate, was it something that you were like, you really had to like put your time, energy, Blood, sweat, and tears, as some would say. Like, can you set an example? Yeah, it was it was three years of uh, of eating shit. I you know, I spent way more money than I had made um, for the first three years, and I just kept my head down and had faith that I was going to figure it out. You know, I there was no certainty in that whatsoever, and you know, despite being raised here and having all these connections, no one at any juncture of their lives, and a lot of people don't seem to understand this, will be handing over a multi-million dollar asset to a 20-something-year-old just because they know them. That will never happen. So from the very beginning, I was competing against the top brokers for the top listings. And you know, I, I was able to learn from the very best, which is Mauricio and Farah and leveraging them to be able to bring them in. And, you know, that, that was very helpful. But still, it was um, just a lot of kind of faith in the process and, and doubling down in what I know um, that enabled me to finally become profitable in this business. When you say that the first three years you spent a lot of money, was that money that, so I look It's at not even, I spent a lot of money. It's, I made so little that what I was spending was more than what I made. And I was putting everything into my business, meaning courting relationships, taking people out, <clears throat> um, marketing, not as big of an expenditure back then, because I didn't have as much to market, but- mm. 
just you know the intangibles of of taking people out and you know just being the guy before I was the guy until I became the guy. Yeah, no, I think that's great. But I the I guess the point that I was starting to make with that is that, you know, I look at it sometimes and I was trying to explain it to somebody. I'm I I've made a career change from one industry to another and it's a fucking whole other world. However, I do have I've I've worked with people in the entertainment industry for a very long time. I've trained celebrities, I've trained high profile people and you're tying all people. this in nicely uh, you know and i know so many people and people are like oh those are your sphere of influence and i i think it's great but i do keep moderate connections with them just through like social media or through texting and just saying hello but going back to the specifics of the money that's being spent i had no idea the amount of money that you spend just to even get in this business just to even get in this just business. to hold your license even yeah, and you have this membership and that membership. I'm like, just add Soho House, and I'm I'm set. I have all <laughs> these memberships, and it, people don't realize that they're just like, oh, I'm gonna go make a bunch of money in real estate. But you're like, hey, hold on for a second. You're gonna have to at least pocket X amount of dollars. You got to pay your firm. You have to pay your E&O. You have to pay all this money. Now, on top of that, if you can give a specific example, because of somebody who's either a newer agent, potentially thinking like, hey. I really like Joey. I'm Team Joey over Team Ben. People are watching this team, watching these realtors on television or in real life. They know you, peers or people just in your circle. You know what is the? Can you avoid? Can someone avoid spending all that extra money and and being able to gain some success? Or do you recommend someone spending that extra money, even if they may not necessarily be in a position? What would be something that you would suggest for someone or has worked for you? It's a great question. I, I think that it's not necessarily, it doesn't have to be about the money. Um, to be clear though, you're right that it is expensive to have a license in California. It's expensive to, you know, hang your license with a brokerage. It's expensive to be a part of the, you know, realtor associations. That's thousands of dollars every year right out the gate. And, you know, I mean, I think I made like my, my first year in real estate, maybe a, maybe a total of like $7,000. Um, so I was barely breaking even with my dues and then it just gets blown out of the water when I'm taking these clients out to nice dinners and you have to kind of, your client needs to understand that you understand them and their lifestyle. So you have to kind of step up to that lifestyle and show that you're part of this and you can understand the nuances of what you're selling. And part of that is the people and again, the lifestyle. So I think there is a way to do it without necessarily shelling out a ton of money. I think there's gestures that you can make. You can bring, you know, I, I, I know someone, um, actually someone that we just brought onto our team he started his career by you know making relationships and dropping off whole foods muffins at this person's house you know i, I don't know how often but must have cost him a total of 50 bucks whereas it's very easy to take a client out and spend i i was in santa barbara a few weeks ago took a client out and it was well over $1,500. But that's 
because I got there. I mean, in the beginning, you kind of just have to figure it out and there's ways to do it and be classy and be elevated without spending all that money. It's just, do you have the drive and creativity to, to get there? And are you willing to eat shit for as long as it'll take? And some people it takes a little bit longer. Absolutely. I mean, I mean sometimes I, I and sometimes you're like, fuck, I just want to leave. I yeah. just want to leave and I have to show up. Yeah. You have to show up. But there's something that I, I want to just bring to the surface and that's, you know, there's a, a this misconceived notion, I'll just say that, you know, people assume, you know, and assumptions can often get us into trouble. They assume like, you know, Joey knows um, Alexia. You know, she went to, he went to school with Alexia. And so because of that one relationship, he's going to get all these deals. But it's like, hey, no, I, I'm creating my own business. Yeah. And it's just my relationship with this person is, is this is person is my friend. And I'm going to show up as one, their peer, two, their friend, three, a relationship that's going to continue to grow for as long as, you know, for as long as we continue to be friends and, and all those other things that grow off of that. And I just think that even speaking on that specific thing just within yourself is that I applaud that because most people have this misconception that you grew up in LA, I grew up in a, in, um, a comfortable setting in my family and I went to a great school that it's like, no, these people weren't knocking on my doors. You know, what were some of the things that you had to do that really start to showcase your showcase yourself as somebody in a business to manage people's assets at, very wealthy people yeah. from your what it seems well i'll just say um to be clear that you know in all my years of working with mauricio and their team there is not one single deal that you've seen me post or that you've seen you know recorded there's not one single deal that i didn't bring to the table not one single deal that was handed to me by anyone. And I'm saying even with the foot in the door advantage, I'm always working at a disadvantage because I'm actually changing a narrative that was very strong. I was a jokester as a kid. I was a kid. I was a different person. And everyone's a kid at one point. Or everyone's not the most successful person in the room until they become the most successful person in the room. So you're kind of fighting that narrative and it just took a lot of grit over time and a lot of good brand association, making sure I was in the right places with the right people. Um, one of which is, you know, associating with Mauricio that helped people take me more seriously. Um, but just quick story about that too. I actually, Mauricio didn't find out I was at the agency until two weeks after I was in the agency and same with Alexia because I specifically knew um, down the line that could be you know a conversation and I wanted to do it the right way so I cold called another partner him having no idea I had a relationship with them and he said he didn't have a position for me he said he'd give me five minutes to talk ended up talking for two hours um, and convinced him to give me uh, a job. And that's how I started at the agency. And then eventually I moved over to Mauricio's office once he found out I was there. Um, so yeah, I, I think a lot of people have this misconception that just because of 
certain scenarios I'm handed things, but you know, if anything, I feel like I have to work a little harder to kind of prove these people that are a new me in one way that I was something else, something greater, something more elevated and someone that they can trust with their lifelong multi-million dollar assets. What was the conversation that you had with that person that you had to convince them? And it can either be from what you said specifically to that person or something that can apply to someone that, you know, that you have to convince someone that you want to be the best for the job and either yourself or another person who wants to execute something new or another level in their business. What does that convincing look like? really hard to say it's um you you just kind of have to show that you're ruthless and that you're always going to exhaust every single opportunity and that comes down to even when you're negotiating with the client and and they're saying i want to give you four percent listing agreement it's so important that you stand up and you say, my value is 6% because they know that if you're negotiating with them like that, they can sure as hell count on you to negotiate with the future buyer that's going to be purchasing their home with that same vigor. So I, you know, I think it's really just, it, it comes down, there's no cheat code. You just have to be genuinely out there exhausting every opportunity and doing everything you can and that energy will that's you can read that energy yeah you can no, feel agree. that yeah i agree i think that just just to piggyback off what you were saying is that there's a a strong vulnerability that you're so rigorously honest you're like i will work so fucking hard you're gonna love having me around and then you show it because you show up and people trust you and I think that there's something that in our business and in our industry we work with so many known people and high profile people that people's initial thought is like oh my god I want this and that energy will in my perception is something that people don't want to be around you have to be like really calm and chill chill enough to be to just make a simple connection to be like you know I'll work my fucking ass off you want me to like sell this house or whatever it is yeah. like to be on your team. And cause people want more of that and you're going to collect more opportunities. Now, last week I was having a conversation with a person and they're in a different, in, we're in similar industries. And he says, you're going to do it for that person for 4%. And I was like, no, I'm not, I'm not. I said, the reason why I'm not is because people that have been in this business for a very long time, tell me no. They tell me no. They're like, the moment that you do that, you're going to put yourself at a level that you're not looking to, to, to work for. Yeah. And I mean, because I'm newer in the business and you've been in this business for much more longer time, how do you position yourself around those situations where you're like, yeah, I want the job. Yeah, I want the deal. But, you know, I have to know my worth and know when I need to walk away from someone, something, you know, what is something that works for you or have you been in that situation yeah. so as a newer agent um 
that was one of the most challenging aspects to it. And I think my advice to a newer agent battling that scenario would be leverage anything and everything you can. Um, at that time, I was leveraging the agency brand. I was leveraging my proximity with Mariso. I was I was leveraging anything I could to show that I was not a discount broker. Um, now I'm lucky enough to have, you know, a little bit of a body of work that kind of speaks for itself. And that's what I leverage. Um, but then again, you know, as well as I've done, I'm going up, up against these guys that have done 10x, 100x the volume that I've done. So you're always going to be playing against a bigger person at some point or another. It really just comes down to how you can leverage it and have that conversation. And even, you know, I don't really see brokers talking about this either, but I know all these top brokers that only talk about getting 6% are also cutting deals. And we've cut deals too, but it has to be for the right scenario. That deal only is happening if, not if, when we need to show the client that there's, that's the only thing left to do that can give them more value provided by us. That we've exhausted every single other opportunity to provide value. And if they're still unsatisfied and there's a little bit more to go and that's what it takes to close the deal, we're not too proud to give up some commission to close the deal. Because again, to bring it back to the beginning, this is a relationship business. And in certain scenarios, the relationship is more important than the deal. And when that happens, and we've done, I mean, I, I can give you an example. There's a property we sold in the Beverly Hills Flats. And, you know, we took, we took a hit on the commission. And now we've closed with this one client over 50 million in business and have another 8 million under contract with him. And that was for a few million dollar deal. So my belief is if you act in good faith and you act in the best interest of your client, it'll come back to you. What is, an, what is a specific way that you hold that conversation? Because a lot of times there's, there's also a power. There's, you know, power is going to be in the room. Who's going to control the conversation? And sometimes it's the client. And yeah. sometimes that could be really overwhelming. And it's like, when do you have to take a step back? And have you, have you had to take a step back? You know, because you don't want to surrender to somebody who may be a really big client. Totally, totally. I mean, it's such a balance at the end of the day. We're not negotiating one term. We're not negotiating a commission fee. We're, we're, we're negotiating a holistic deal. So to me, the way I always like to do these things is the same way I would approach any negotiation. And it's just breaking down all the terms, figuring out what the real objective of the seller is, what our real objective is, and how do we come together and figure that out. If our real objective is to sell it for the best number, and their real objective is to sell it for the best number, but they want to pay X amount, and we need them to pay Y amount, there's a middle ground where if you can give them that reassurance that you will, and, and they, again, this is something that 
they can feel it's a genuine thing that you will be exhausting every opportunity to get them the best results. Sometimes the issue of commission just becomes a non-issue. And of course there's more nuanced scenarios where different things happen. And then at that point you just have to analyze who the client is, what the potential future business is there. Um, and it's all just judgment calls. Yeah, I think that's also just like being able to understand people and give people the room to be themselves so they're not so overwhelmed by someone else's personality. And just uh, going back to what I was sharing, it was something on like $3 million that somebody was saying not to go in at 4% and, you know. But I want to see if you can go back to that time of like three years where it started to just take off in your business and things started to snowball as people say like it starts to snowball in your business did you start to experience something that was overwhelming how did you manage the struggle that was going on during those first three years or two and a half years and then all of a sudden things start to taking off you know there was this hesitancy of that or doubt or do i want to execute something off of this like what mm -hmm. was going on during that time and what were some of the steps that you started to take? I, yeah, may, maybe I'm insane for this, but I just, I, I think with absolutely no rationale involved, I just believed to my core that I was going to figure this out even after three years of not making it work. And, you know, as the deal started rolling in um, and we started, you know, getting pretty successful at this, nothing really changed in terms of of the hustle and the struggle and everything the only thing that changed is that i was actually closing the deals and i was actually getting the opportunities it's the only thing that changed um the process that it took to get there was the same and i think kind of staying obviously you learn things along the way and you tweak but um I, my biggest lesson was just keep your head down what does a uh, normal day look like for you? Because you have, do you put like eight, ten hours in, or you're like, okay, I, you know, I always see you working. Yeah. I mean, you're going to a show and you are making time for this, and I appreciate that. Of course. But um, thank you. And but you came from a showing. You have another show, like you know, and and how do you manage your day? What does a usual day or week look like? Yeah. Well, there is no usual day. No, no two days are alike. Um, I I think this is relatable to a lot of um, agents out there, but, you know, I can have a day where it starts at 6.30. I mean, last week we had a shoot that we had to be up at 3.30 in the morning. Um, we were shooting 350 acres. We had to get up for sunrise and be at the property, prep the property. Um, you know, we were signing a few listing agreements that day um so we were mobile but on the phone with our clients hashing out the final terms for that um i had to run back to la this is a little outside of la um to show more property stop by the office and then had a dinner that night with some other clients so by the time my day's over it's like 10 30 11 and i'm absolutely thrashed but 
you know, in this business, we have the ability also to go out during a weekday and decide what we want with our to do with our time. Um, I work most of the weekends, at least at least 12 hours during the weekend. Um, not necessarily each day, but I'll have at least one day where I'm working eight hours and then probably will work a portion of, you know, the, the other day. And then during the week, if I'm available and I can do other things, I will. I like, it's, it's still super important. Uh, you know, you're a wellness person, you get it to, to kind of take time for yourself. And, you know, I, I'll go to the gym sometimes during the day and I'll go on a vacation. But the thing about me going on a vacation is I, I always end up working, but still you, you end up finding ways and time to do things that you need to do. But yeah, m most of the time I focus on work. It's fun. I think it's remarkable. I'm like, literally I have like these tiny little baby tears in my eyes right now. I'm like, Oh my God, that's amazing. I, that's amazing. Oh, well, I'm that's not, amazing. I'm not, I'm not there yet. There's, <laughs> Somebody, so long. Somebody, somebody listening who knows me well enough to be like, Jeez, Jess, Jesus, <laughs> I just have this. It's amazing. But I, I think that one of the things that I'm so drawn to your business and what you're creating, and I don't know if you created this like in your mind at like one time. I'm a car girl and I love, and I don't know if you use this as your branding, but you use these very dark colors and in the contrast, Aside from there's a little bit of, <laughs> of lighting that comes in and there's like some sort of pop and angle and just, it's very different and it's very unique. And I'm a fucking nerd for like the digital space. And, and this is going to be my last podcast that I tell someone that, <laughs> but I, I think it's so cool. And I don't know if you, I appreciate you picking up on that. You, okay. No, I, that's okay. completely intentional. Okay. I, I don't, is a mystery. It's almost like you create this mystery vibe and it's, um, there's like, it's seductive. It's sultry. It's like, I, I want to see where that car is going. I, and I, I, I love it. It's so great. Did you think that, yeah. do you have that idea or am I just imagining it as I'm watching it? Well, first of all, we work with the most talented videographers and photographers. Um, but we're essentially marketing directors, um, and we have a vision and I'm amazed that you were able to pick up on that. We will literally guide that vision with our talented videographers and photographers. They're talented enough to execute on that. But yeah, that's, that's kind of our idea is that we don't, you know, a lot of people in sales are kind of screaming at you and they're, they're running after you and the natural human instinct is, is to almost run away. But if your method of sales is here we are, we're kind of hard to get, you kind of aren't sure what it is, but you want to know more, I think that just becomes a much more approachable way and a much more fluid um, or organic way for our clients to find us. You know, I always wanted to create some sort of system where I obviously have been hustling and running after clients my entire career, but I want it to feel like they're finding me and that I'm the gold. And I think that's, you know, that has been our goal. Um, and we still have a long way to go to really 
get there, but we're starting to see it pay off. I think that you're already probably in it. You're just being humble. I really <laughs> think that, Joey. Honestly, I'm just saying, like, I think that you're already creating that. And I think when it comes to branding, even if somebody's listening to this and they're sort of like trying to figure out the angle, it's like there has to be an, there has to be emotion to it. And you have to think from a place of a consumer. So it's like, you have to, you have to put your, your vision in place. But when it comes to creating attraction, it has to come from a place of a consumer. Like, how is this going to draw people in? Like, how is it going to draw someone to to come into my business? Have people just randomly called you since the show because they wanted to work with you because of the show? Is that, I always wonder, like, do all of a sudden it's people... Not, no, it's not really how it works. The phone doesn't really ring, but it, you know, once we're reaching out to these clients, it makes a difference having that name, you know, them knowing who we are, um, it's definitely an advantage. But we're not really getting people calling us saying, hey, I saw you on that show, list my house. Um, that would be really cool, though. And I think a lot of people, this just goes along with the common misconception of, and by the way, this might exist for some people in the real estate world. I have yet to experience um, the feeling of being handed anything um, obviously you can make the argument I've been in very fortunate positions, but again, by no means is anyone going to hand over something that is worth that much of their net worth. It just does not happen. Uh, someone I was listening to an interview the other day, I think it was Farah, and she said those are a lot easier, those transactions. Which ones? The very well, the people that are very wealthy. Oh, one, 100%, a first time buyer is going to be so much more complicated than a guy who's picking up hundreds of millions of dollars worth of real estate every year. I mean, that guy knows what he's buying. Yeah. He, he in and out trusts us to handle the negotiation, but he's ready to sign off on everything right away. I have to tell a funny story just because I want someone who listens to this to laugh. And this is the shit that I do. I am a very tenacious person and I've been, I'll I could call, tell by the way, you got me on this <laughs> podcast very tenaciously. Because people want to be on dumb girl podcasts. Cause it's like, it's not, it's just a chill space and I'm creating something off of it. But people would just want to be chill. Um, and I stay in touch with people in my industry that I've known through the fitness industry for a very long time. So I call a close, I, a close acquaintance of mine who has an arm's length of connections in this business. And I literally pick up the phone and I was like, Hey, so-and-so where do I find a bunch of billionaires? He was yeah. like, Jessica. That's so funny. He's like, okay, Jessica, this is what you have to do. And I was like, okay. He's like, That's so funny. I was like, okay. And he was like, Oh, you know, and, and you can be invited to these things. And I was like, all right, I need to find my way into these charity events. And he was like, you know, Oh, if you're invited to these cherry wins, but he did say something that you did say, um, towards the beginning of this, this episode was like, he named probably about five extremely high end restaurants. And he said, go there, go there, Jessica. Like you gotta just go there. I think one of them is called like steak 48. He says it's in Beverly Hills. 
I could I could tell you that he's like tip. You have to be at the tip, 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 tip top of the of the wealth, and just go there. He's like, just go there, go sit at the bar, Jessica. Just so, go dress up and go sit yeah. there. And that's what he was saying. But he found it to be a little comical because I was just like, you know. But um, it's true. Like I, ever since I had two pennies to rub together, I put everything into going to these places and like. Ex I mean, to this day, money comes in and money goes out. Yeah. Because I'm doubling and tripling and quadrupling down on myself. And I know, and people think I'm absolutely out of my mind. But I know that there there will be ROI if, I c if you continue to rub shoulders with the people you want to be working with. Then you will eventually be part of that circle and be a trusted part of that circle. But as long as you're willing to, I mean, it's a humongous investment. Yeah. Okay, so we're gonna turn the tables because you talk so much about relationships of people and your relationships of people, and you yourself as a man, um, are there specific things that you look for in a partner? Are there specific things that somebody who is, um, very successful there's there's certain things that men look for um and and what are those certain things that you find to be really important when it comes to finding a partner being with a partner and being in such a high volume industry yeah i mean i i would say just someone who isn't complacent someone who's willing to understand my goals and objectives but also has their own goals and and objectives um and aside from that i'm just trying to figure it out to be i'm young but not that young um and i definitely have not figured out what it is i want or what it is i need out of a woman but you know it's we're we're in the process well but that's good because most people just assume i mean when you're in your 20s it's like you just want to have fun and that's you're supposed to yeah. Like you're supposed to. I'm so thankful I did not get married when I was 20. And I'm <laughs> not married. I've never been married, but I will be married. But I'm like, I'm so glad that didn't happen when I was. Yeah. It's just like, it's just one of those things. But I just, I find it to be so amazing that someone who is, I don't want to say young, but more established in their life to have, um, to be so grounded in so many different ways. And I think those will continue to attract different types of opportunities and relationships because I know that relationships are so important for you and even to make that point across in this episode for those that are listening that sometimes maybe instead of grinding nurture a relationship that's around you you yeah. know spend some time with someone invite someone to coffee that maybe you haven't spent time with because they may need that time you need to like sort of you know, give that time back. And how do you like to just like give back? I know that you work with this. Well, Habitat for Humanity <laughs> is kind of similar to Give Back Homes, which we're all yeah, active I'm with familiar. the agency. Um, I kind of give back in my own ways. I give to certain charities. Um, but I'm also starting a mentorship program with younger kids. Um, I was always like misunderstood as a kid because I just had way too much ADHD and too much energy and every teacher was 
telling me that, you know, I wasn't going to end up anywhere and like, you know, everyone has these defined lines of you got to go through college, you got to get these grades, you got to be behaved and all this stuff. So kind of my passion right now is, is working with kids that, um, that are maybe misunderstood and letting them know. Oh my God, that's so nice. Yeah. Well, we're still, still starting, but you have to get like little BZP hats, like (laughs) tiny little ones. That's so cute. Oh my God. I appreciate you being here. And I will say I'm a tenacious person, but because I also like have friends of people in the industry and I'm building relationships with them, those things are important. That's my most important thing. So people like, you know, get back. I just, I'm like, cool. Well, yeah, it was just like cool. The, the tenacity is evident, <laughs> and I I appreciate you staying tenacious. That's a fury fire. <laughs> <laughs> I like to ask my uh, listeners three questions before before they leave me. Um, what is a non negotiable in your morning routine that sets you up for the day that grounds you? <laughs> I don't know. I I my mornings are messed up. You don't, you don't want advice from me on mornings. I'm still trying to figure that out. Oh my God. I'm obsessed with mornings. Today, routines. today I actually did sauna, cold plunge, sauna, oh, cold plunge. Love it. Felt amazing. Um, half the days I'm literally just rolling it. Cause you know, there's late nights. I'm just rolling out of bed immediately answering a hundred emails, taking calls, you know, and my brain just starts spinning to start the day. So I, I don't think that's the healthy way of doing it. Mm. Um, but, you know, that's why we're in the wellness process. Yeah, we're yeah, trying yeah. to figure it out. And I'm obsessed with morning routine. I would love your advice. I'm you know, I was with someone and, and he would be like, what's up with this morning routine? <laughs> I'm like, I'm, I love my morning routine. Now what's, your, what's your morning routine? Oh, my God. Well, some days I'm really busy in the morning, but I meditate. I'm an avid meditator. Um, but my phone is on do not disturb and airplane mode. So I do not touch my phone for at least an hour. Good for you. Because I am, I, I am the most powerful force and I need to take that time to, to oil the tin. That's that's smart. And I, and I drink water and coffee and all the things take care of Paris. Um, can you leave the listeners with one suggestion or piece of advice that they can apply to their daily routine business and or relationship? Um, Yeah. Just keep your head down, and even when it seems like nothing's coming of it, if if you feel good about what you're doing, stay in the process, enjoy the journey, and stay out of the results. I like to keep the head down. That's sort of like dumb. You're like, wait, what? Like, yeah. Keep your head up. Keep your head down. It's so much. Keep you your head blinders down. One hundred percent. Yeah. What are three qualities peers of yours would say about you? Um. I think my my peers know that I care, maybe a little too much. Um, they know that I love making people laugh, um, having a good time, and the third thing. Um, that I'm just uh, that I have a really large uh, heart. <laughs> This is a podcast that just now is going to get tons of thousands of viewers because of that comment. I'm going to just stream that one thing. And people are just going to listen to this episode. Joey, thank you so much. Plug yourself. Where can people find you? Um, well, you can find our website, bzp-group.com or my Instagram, 
Joey Benz V, um, which is just Joey J O E Y Ben B E N Z V Z V I, all one word. Joey, thank you. You can follow me at Jessica J Fury. You can follow my real estate page at Jessica Fury Real Estate and follow the podcast. You can rate and subscribe. And we're now on YouTube at Dumb Girl Podcast. Thank you so much. And I will talk to you guys soon. Thank you.